Hey everybody, welcome to The X Report. I'm Raven X and we are going to do this week's episode a bit differently. Now Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, is on vacation this week, which is, you know, rightfully deserved. So we're gonna do things a bit differently. I How it's gonna work is I'm gonna give my WrestleMania Backlash 2022 predictions as well as talk about the current standings with regards to the NBA playoffs uh, round two. And then I'm gonna close out the show doing the NFL draft breakdown something that I am incredibly excited to talk about but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the xreport.net I repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast our youtube channel entitled the x report so as I mentioned we're doing things differently so we're actually going to start off with the basketball segment looking at the current standings with the second round of the playoffs Starting off in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat hold a 2-0 lead over the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, Ethan and I were talking about this off of the air, but I genuinely feel like even when Joel Embiid comes back, I don't think that the 76ers have what it takes to take down the Heat. I think that the Heat are too much of a cohesive unit as well as a great defensive team. So where the 76ers, I just don't think that a semi-hurt um, Joel Embiid and I don't want to say washed, but a very different James Harden to the one that we've gotten accustomed to are going to be able to get it done against the Heat. So best case scenario, I see the Heat winning at six games. Worst case scenario might even be a sweep. Um, Moving on to the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. As of right now, the series is tied at one game apiece. Um, the Celtics won this most recent game, 109-86. to Ethan and I both said we think the Celtics ended up pulling it out. And even though I'm not a quitter, it's been nice seeing Giannis kind of go off. I know that the... Um, I know the Celtics defense was able to get it done even without having uh, Marcus Smart in the lineup, but I wouldn't be surprised if Giannis continues to ball out as well as we see other performances from guys like Drew Holiday and have him step up offensively, but I'm still, I'm not counting out the Bucks, but I think I'm going to continue to ride it out with my Boston Celtics um, selection. Moving on to the Western Conference, as of right now, I'm recording this Wednesday night. So game two between the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks is in tow. As of now, Dallas leads Phoenix 60-58 to at the half. Mm, I think the Suns are able to pull it out towards the end, take that 2-0 lead over the Mavericks. However, I think this could wind up being a really good series, potentially even going as far as to seven games. But when push comes to shove, I think that the Suns are able to pull it out in six. Now to the fun series, the one that, as you can imagine, I'm very much so interested in. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors, both teams tied at one game apiece. In my opinion, it's already looking like the most competitive series. The Warriors won the first game, 117-116. to This past game, Memphis Grizzlies, 106-101. Because Ja played like, of course, my Mamba of the Week, dropping 47 points and reminding everybody that Memphis is still his house. As tough as it is to really call this series, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say with the likes of it, it's hard to predict a winner because logic would say Warriors in seven, but my heart and my hopes 
are saying Grizzlies in seven. I have a hard time picking against the Grizzlies right now. I know that they have their kind of slump moments and they don't start off as hot as you would like, but that is one hell of a team. They're incredibly resilient. They back down to nobody. And while the Warriors are a team that have had a lot of success over the years, I'm going Grizzlies in seven. Worst come to worst, even if they lose. I mean, congratulations to them for making it this far. But I'm excited to see how the rest of this series plays out because it's it's looking like these two teams are not liking each other very much from Draymond Green's flagrant foul, game one on Brandon Clark to game two. Um, everybody seems to be really upset with Dylan Brooks because he injured Gary Payton, which wasn't – it did look like a dirty play. But neither here nor there. That's how I see the series shaping up. Of course, next week, Ethan and I will uh, take a deeper dive into this uh, current playoff series. But it's been a lot of fun so far. But all right, let's go ahead. Moving on to the WrestleMania Backlash predictions. As of right now, like I said, I'm recording this on Wednesday. So SmackDown has not taken place yet. Which means that we so far have six matches on the card with one title match. So, you know, WrestleMania Backlash, it's... Pretty much rematches. So, starting off with Happy Cur- Corbin versus Madcap Moss. I got Madcap Moss. I think that... I don't really don't know what the direction is for Happy Corbin, but I think that we really won't start to see that until he officially ends this feud with Madcap, which I think Madcap ends up winning. I mean, he was his lackey for months, and... And now it's time for him to really come up with his own identity. Am I much of a fan of what's going on? Not particularly, but I do think he ends up pulling it out. Next up, Bobby Lashley versus Almost. Bobby Lashley won at Mania, predicted it. This time around, I'm going on the other uh, side of the ring. I'm going Almost for the win, mainly because I feel like MVP is going to do some trickery and end up helping cheat to cost Bobby Lashley the win. I'm really interested to see where this pair of Almost and MVP goes, especially because, let's be honest, we all know that almost needs a mouthpiece, and I think MVP is one of the best in the game. So I think that this could work out really well for the pair. Moving on to Edge versus AJ Styles. I got AJ Styles. This is another case of Edge won the first match, and without Damian Priest being allowed at ringside, I think that this will be just a banger. I know the last one kind of started off a little bit slow, in my opinion, and other people I've talked to, but it ended up picking up the pace towards the end and getting really good, and I'm expecting the same thing. Just this time, AJ Styles wins clean, or even if it's not clean, I'm sure uh, Finn Balor is going to come help him out. Next up, the another rematch, Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins. Now, for the first time, I have the original winner winning again. I think Cody Rhodes comes out victorious. Truthfully, this could main event the show for me. I know it's not going to, but I think technically it's going to be the best match of the night. Um, Sure, Seth Rollins could lose by disqualification. I think that he could get sick of Cody and just go above and beyond with the torture and the tournament, but I still feel like Cody Rhodes somehow wins, whether it be clean, beating him in yet another banger, or they have one of those questionable finishes. Cody Rhodes comes out on top. Next up, the I Quit match for the SmackDown Women's Championship between Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey. I've made my feelings towards Ronda Rousey known. It's no surprise who I'm going to pick. I'm going Charlotte, the queen of the WWE, the queen of pay-per-views. With Charlotte, you really just can't lose. I know that realistically Ronda probably will win because I can't imagine her saying I quit, but... I don't pick Ronda for things. I don't like Ronda Rousey. So even though I'm pretty sure Charlotte's going to win, I will take this loss of a point 
just to not have to pick Ronda. And then finally, the six-man tag match with the Bloodline, aka made up the of the Universal and WWE Champion Roman Reigns. Yes, I acknowledge him. And the Usos versus the Raw Tag Team Champions, RK Bro and Drew McIntyre. Why they changed the style of this match because it was supposed to be a tag title unification, I have no earthly idea. But I mean, I guess to kind of add fuel to the fire of the impending Roman versus Drew McIntyre match, which is going to be fine. I mean, their other matches are typically pretty good. So I'm excited to see how this all shakes out. But with that being said... Roman, don't be mad at me, but I think I'm going to go with RK Bro and Drew McIntyre. I know that this is mainly because it's not like Roman would eat the pin, right? It's not like Roman is going to be the one who messes up, and I feel like Drew McIntyre is probably going to hit somebody with a Claymore, like one won the Usos, or they're going to take double RKOs, and then a Claymore is going to come, and it's just going to leave them incapacitated, and RK Bro and Drew McIntyre win. As far as the whole unifica- unification of the belts, I truthfully don't know when that's going to happen. I don't really think it needs to happen, per se, but... I think that at least for right now, with not much on the line, or at least no titles on the line, I think RK Bro and Drew McIntyre win, which helps further the feuds between both parties in the future. But all right, now to the really fun part, NFL draft breakdown. I'm mad excited to talk about this. And for those of you who have not checked it out already, 262 picks later, after multiple incorrect mock drafts by myself and many other people out there too, Mad trades, mad confusion. I have released this past uh, this past weekend my NFL draft recap, which essentially highlights every team's draft class, every team's sorry, every team's draft class, my favorite picks from each team um, in their selections, as well as overall draft grades. Did it for all 32 teams. Took a lot of time but it was worth it, a labor of love. So for those of you who have not checked that out, please be sure to check that out because that is going to be a more um, in-depth analysis about my thoughts on this draft as a whole, um, more so than what we're about to do with this NFL draft breakdown. So please be sure to check that out, especially if I don't get to one of your favorite teams or one of the uh, moves that you want to know my opinion on. Please be sure to check that out, and I got you. Without further ado, though, let's break down this draft. So let's get this started off on a positive note. My top five favorite draft picks. So starting off at number five, I have cornerback Kobe Bryant going to the Seahawks. I mean, we've seen it before. I'm sure for those of you who are listening, you guys remember the Legion of Boom, one of the greatest secondaries of in NFL history. Well, if you look at the Seahawks defense now, we are a long way away from that. While their safeties are pretty solid, we know that their cornerbacks have not been up to snuff. I think that Kobe Bryant really has a chance to come in early and be a high-impact player, even though he was selected in the fourth round. Uh, my fourth uh, is going to be cornerback Trey McDuffie going to the Chiefs. I mean, if you guys read my draft uh, recap, which you know you should read if you haven't already. Um, I really praise the Chiefs on being more defensive-minded this time around. We always talk about how great the Chiefs' offense is, but their defense really has not been as comparable. However, I do feel like with Trey McDuffie, they're really taking steps to improve that defense and really be able to be more competitive and stop the high-flying pass catchers in that division. And Trey McDuffie, in my opinion, was one of the better corners available. So to get him in the first was a steal. Uh, number three, 
another cornerback, my main man, Derek Singley, going to the Texans third overall. While I will admit I was a bit shocked that he went third overall because, I mean, if you guys listened to last week's show before the draft, um, that was one of the believable or buffoonery questions was if Sting would go in the top three. Ethan and I both called it buffoonery, but the Texans proved us wrong. And while I do think that it was a bit interesting. I understand where they're going with it. Sting is the most talented corner in this draft, Poss- quite possibly the most talented player in this draft when he is at his best, and I feel like he can get back to that level with the Texans, who have a desperate need at corner. Number two, Nicobe Dean going to the Eagles, another guy who I absolutely love. I've been banging the drum um, for Nicobe Dean, and for him to finally be able to get drafted in the third round, which – kind of blew my mind it took that long it was crazy and if you look at the Eagles they are a team that could desperately use a leader in that second level the Kobe D provides them just that and then number one it's probably going to be a shock to a lot of you which is fair totally understand but I'm going safety Jaquan Brisker to the Bears um Jaquan Brisker is one of those guys who more and more of the draft process I have really begun to like and even though I thought that this draft would be more centered around wanting to help Justin Fields whether that be spending them earlier picks on first I mean on first but on wide receivers and maybe offensive linemen instead they went the route of improving their secondary which was not good um as we know they got Kyler Gordon with their first pick and then came back and got Jaquan Prisker their second pick who I feel like is one of the best coverage safeties in this year's class and I think they can do some really big things this upcoming season especially with him being paired up with Eddie Jackson all right moving on to my top five uh, most questionable picks. Start off at number five, linebacker Chad Muma going to the Jaguars. Now, it's sounding like um, Trayvon Walker will probably be playing outside linebacker. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then, as we know, they selected Devin Lloyd, 27th overall, traded back in the run to get him. That's cool. And they also signed Foy Aluakon, uh to replace uh, Miles Jack. That all sounds fine and dandy. However, my confusion comes in with the Chad Muma pick. Like, I understand you want to make sure that the second level of your defense is in a great state, but you already just spend high-quality picks and money on linebackers. I don't know if this was the move that I personally would have made, but, I mean, stranger things have happened. Maybe it'll work out, but I, I'm, I'm a bit confused as to their their, their thinking with this pick. Um, number four, cornerback Martin Emerson to the Browns. After a while, it made a little bit more sense after it was announced they traded Troy Hill back to the Rams. But at the time, and even still, it's like, one, I didn't necessarily see the Browns in the cornerback market. I definitely saw them more as a receiver slash defensive line needy team. And even when you look at where the board was, when they selected Emerson, I feel like there were better options available. And so I'm I'm kind of confused. Yes, I'm sure he'll see more playing time with the Troy Hill trade, but even still, I'm kind I'm not really sold on it. Yes, he's big and physical. However, he lacked down the field speed, which we know most of these players uh, wide receivers in particular have in the AFC North. I mean, you look at the Bengals with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, of course. Baltimore, you look at um Oh, gosh, I forgot we traded Hollywood. <laughs> um, but sit, you look at Pittsburgh, Chase Claypool has some speed to him. They just drafted Calvin Austin, another speedier guy. So because of that, it's like 
do I really trust him matched up against those guys? And truthfully, my answer would have to be a resounding no. Um, I think his chances are better off in the slot being matched up against tight ends and those bigger body receivers um, because he is a physical presence, but still not totally sold on the fit in Cleveland. Next, number three, um, Trey McBride, tight end, going to the Arizona Cardinals. I understand that you know, after trading for Hollywood Brown, you want to make Kyler Murray happy. It's been a bit of a dramatic offseason um, between the two. But, I mean, I think that eventually a contract will be taken care of, and you want to make sure he has receiving weapons. However, I don't know if Trey McBride would be my choice here. I mean, yes, in the next two rounds, they doubled up on defensive ends with Cameron Thomas and MyJ Saunders. But even still, I just – you look at it like this. When you have – Zach Ertz there, who is older but still incredibly productive, one of the more productive receivers, especially after um, DeAndre Hopkins got hurt. And then you look over at that defense, who I feel like had more clamor needs in tight end. Yes, this is going to be a move that's going to help out in the future, but I think that the Cardinals are a team that needs something to help them out today, especially trying to compete. And it feels like the NFC right now is wide open. I don't know if taking Trey McBride helps them do that. Um, number two. Guard Kenyon Green going to the Texans. Big reason why I have this one here is because I just don't. I, while Kenyon Green, when he was healthy, was definitely one of the more impactful offensive linemen, especially interior linemen of this class. At 15, it felt, I don't want to say it felt like a reach, but it just seemed like there were better options that the Texans could go. I mean, they traded back from 13 a couple of spots, and they still pretty much had the board. Up to them, I mean, the board was there. For example, Jermaine Johnson, a talented player, was there. Devin Lloyd was still there. Um, you could get a different cor another cornerback, maybe a safety. A lot of options were available, but I understand they really want to help out Davis Mills, and they felt like Kenya Green would be the guy to help them do that. But still, I'm just not not totally sure on it. And number one, it's another wide receiver being called up. It is wide receiver Tyquan Thornton to the Patriots. Biggest reason I have confusion with this is Thornton is more so known as a deep threat. He's more so one of those guys who can stretch the field. But with that being said, the Patriots are not a team that traditionally have been known for throwing the ball all across the yard. They're not a team that consistently is throwing the ball deep, testing defenses, making them um, regret, don't, you know, playing them soft. I mean, and plus a big reason for that was the additions of guys like Nelson Aguilar, who is that speedy deep threat. Yes, his hands are questionable, and did he have much of an impact last season? No, but that is essentially his role. Now, this isn't me saying that I don't think that Tycon Thornton can overtake Nelson Aguilar. It's just for the player of his skill set, I'm kind of confused as to why he was the selection instead of a bigger body or a more, let's say, a more possession receiver as opposed to a speed receiver. Maybe we're going to be in line for a brand new, you know, Patriots offense, but I'm, I'm not really holding my breath on that. All right, moving on to the top three teams that improved the most during the draft. For starting off at number three, I'm going to say the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, I can have a team improved and not think that they are going to 
go that far. I mean, overall, I think that they had a really balanced draft. For example, spending two picks on um, bookends, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, two guys who I feel like can come in and instantly compete, if not overtake the starting job. Boy, a Mafe, they desperately need an edge rusher, and they got just that. Kenneth Walker, who I know people are kind of questioning the pick, which is fair because they already have Rashad Penny and Chris Carson in tow, but Chris Carson often injured player and then with Rashad Penny this past year was the first year that he looked like a player with first round hype and other than that I mean he's been a bit of a letdown I feel like at the worst Kenneth Walker is an insurance policy because unfortunately I'm pretty sure Penny and Carson are going to get hurt and at best he could wind up being their week one starter if he proves his consistency and that physicality that he showed in Michigan State um, I also mentioned earlier my love for the Kobe Bryant pick Tariq Wooden is an another one that I like so just up and down, I do feel like the Seahawks really improved. Moving on to number two, the Philadelphia Eagles, another team that I feel like really made the most of their draft picks. More specifically, trading away one to get A.J. Brown. In my opinion, I feel like getting A.J. Brown would have been better than any of the wideouts that they could have taken at 18, so why not do it? You get Jordan Davis, who I feel like is going to be a scary sight, especially lined up along the same defensive line as Fletcher Cox can eventually replace him. Um, Cam Jurgens, who I feel like is going to be the successor of Jason Kelsey, and I think that with Kelsey's tutelage that he's going to really help put them in a great spot. And then, of course, getting a guy like Nicobe Dean, who I've ran and raved about this whole draft process. So overall, I just think that the Eagles did a really nice job. And I mean, everybody's been saying it, but I'm, I'm echoing, echoing that sentiment. I don't think that Jalen Mills has any excuses this year. You have an offense, you have a defense that's going to help you out this. Now it's your time to make the most of it. Um, and then number one, I think a lot of team, I mean, a lot of people would have this as their top team, but I'm saying the New York Jets. I mean, the fact that they were able to get Ahmad Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, all in the first round speaks volumes as to how they perceive these players and how they've been able to manipulate the board. And then on top of that, going back in the second round, then getting a guy like Brees Hall, who I feel like, yes, Michael Carter is fine, but I feel like Brees Hall is a better overall player. I think that that is something that deserves to be acknowledged. And then plus, I feel like Max Mitchell is a guy who can see some time, especially if these rumors about Makai Becton prove to be true and they don't necessarily trust him. Um, Jeremy Ruckert is probably the only, excuse me, the only pick that I had a couple of questions on, especially just because they just signed Eric Tomlinson and CJ um, Uzama another pair of tight ends, so I don't really know where Ruckert is going to fit in. But worst comes to worst, I mean, he could be an insurance policy if one of those guys get hurt. But just from top to bottom, I really feel like the Jets made the most of this draft. And I feel like if all of these guys pan out, we could be talking about the Jets as a playoff team a couple of years from now. Still not saying right now, but they're, they're definitely making moves to get there. All right, next up, five top five winners of this draft. This is not going to be teams, by the way. This is just going to be different players, um, coaches, things of that nature. So starting off at number five, Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator. A couple of months ago, he was hired as the new uh, Ravens DC, replacing Wink Martindale. And, I mean, he has gotten a bevy of talent this past weekend, getting the coach uh, D. David Ajabo, who we coached when he was at uh, Michigan as their defensive coordinator. Kyle Hamilton is also going to be coming in. 
uh, Travis Jones, another guy, a pair of corners to come coach. I mean, overall, the Ravens added so much youth to this defense, and I think that Mike McDonald, who has already proven himself to be a really solid defensive mind, is going to have a lot of fun getting this together with this group. Number four, whoever starts for Seattle at quarterback, um, whether that be Geno Smith, Drew Locke, um, maybe trading for a veteran, who, who knows at this point? But I feel like with the investments into their offensive line, I think that they are going to be pretty set. I mean, they never were this aggressive with offensive linemen when Russ was there, which was, you know, kind of weird. But that being said, I think that they're doing a really good job of making sure that no matter who is under center, they're going to do their best to make sure that they are protected and they have people to get the ball out to, which is really all you can ask for. Uh, number three, Kenny Pickett. I mean – I know that there are some questions about whether or not Kenny Pickett should have been the guy um, that the Steelers took at 20, but I mean, to me, it fundamentally makes the most sense. He's always in the building, literally right in their backyard. They saw the most of him of anybody, and I think that he has the highest floor of any of these quarterbacks. While there are some that have a lot of potential, such as Malik Willis or Matt Corral, I think that what you get with Kenny Pickett right now is better than the rest of those guys. And in addition to being picked by, you know, the same team as his college. I mean, well, in the same city as his college, he also gets some nice toys to play with. We know about Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson is another solid receiver. And then they draft the likes of George Pickens and Calvin Austin the third. I mean, if I'm if I'm Kenny Pickett, I'm pretty happy. Sure, you might have some questions about the offensive line, but at least you don't have to worry about having playmakers to get the ball out to. Number two, Jameis Winston. I've talked a lot about the Saints uh, receiving core, more so off of the show. But in my opinion, based off last year, I felt like they had the worst receiving core in the league, minus, you know, Michael Thomas not playing. But with that being said, they bring in a guy like Chris Olave, who I feel like is going to be a nice boost, a nice upgrade, move um, Marquez Callaway to maybe that slider third receiver role, and things like that will start to open up. And then in addition to that, you get your new left tackle, Trevor Penning, while I know that, of course, you'd rather have Teron Armstead, who's been there for what seems like forever. I mean, either way, you get some protection. And it also shows that the team does have faith in Jameis because they didn't use their picks to take a quarterback. I think that that deserves to be commended. And then number one, LSU. Even in a down year, even in what feels like, in my opinion, our worst season in quite a while, we still had 10 players drafted. That's insane. Like, I know everybody's talking about Georgia and how they have 15. That's cool, whatever. They just won a national championship. We didn't really win anything. But the fact that we still had the second most players drafted out of any school speaks volumes as to why LSU is NFLSU. Go there, recruits. Get drafted. Be a great. We got a long list of them. All right, now to the not-so-great part, the top five biggest draft losers. Uh, number five, running back Josh Jacobs. So prior to the draft, it was announced that they would not be picking up his fifth-year option, which, I mean, of their first-round picks, because um, he was in that class with Cleveland Farrell and Jonathan Abram, I was kind of surprised that he didn't get one. But, I mean, I guess, I mean, I understand. You don't want to give him a big bag, and running back is such an unpredictable position. But on top of that, the team also drafted two other running backs, Zamir White um, from Georgia, and then Britton Brown, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the guy's name. Give me a second. 
Yeah, Brady Brown out of UCLA. And so while I'm not really expecting Brown to be too much competition, you're still looking at Zamir White like, is this the guy who's going to be taking my job? I mean, and if you look at all the money that the Raiders have spent this offseason re-signing Max Crosby, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, just to name a few, Josh Jacobs could possibly be the odd man out in this equation. Uh, number four, Jesse Bates um, the second. I think that with Jesse Bates, He's going to get signed somewhere. Let's let's not get it confused. I just think that with every all the moves that the um that the Bengals have made this offseason, particularly in the draft, he could potentially be on his way out. I mean, he's been clamoring for a new deal for the past couple of years now, and truthfully, I would pay the man, but in getting a guy like Daxton Hill and the um adding Cam Britt, I feel like they're making it more so that if Jesse Bates was to walk out the door, they would be okay. Sure, one could argue that maybe that Von Bell would be the one replaced by Hill instead of Bates, but just in case, I feel like they'd be more likely to bring in bring back Bell just because he's cheaper and then putting Hill in Bates' role to save that money. But who knows? We still got a lot of time before he would be potentially be a free agent, so we'll see how it shakes out. Number three, wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. St. Brown was one of my favorite wide receivers coming out of last year's draft. I love the fit for him um, in Detroit. And even though it took a little bit for him to get started, once he got going, he was easily the best wide receiver on that team. Now, who knows? Maybe he's going to see a dip in some production. For example, the team brought in DJ Chark on a one-year prove-it deal. They traded up to get Jamison Williams, who we don't know exactly when he is going to step on the field, but we know it's going to be at some point of the season. So with that being said, you got to admit that there's some, you got some questions about where uh, Amon Rob St. Brown is going to fit in. Is he going to be the dynamo fantasy player that he was a year ago? Is he going to kind of fade into the background? Who knows? But he's going to have a lot more competition in that wide receiver room, which on the one hand, you like if you're a Lions fan because you're given Jared Goff more weapons. But for him personally, this may see a dip in his production. Uh, number two, Jalen Rager, who it was reported that the team was trying to trade him uh, prior to the draft, but I'm sure not many people were interested. I know personally, even with my wide receiver needy Ravens, there is no way I'm touching Jalen Rager for anything. And it's looking like his spot on the depth chart is going to be even lower if non-existent for example you already know Devontae Smith was there and then with the trade of A.J. Brown it just seems like only a matter of time before Jalen Rager is going to be donning a new jersey or eventually just getting cut I just feel like right now the team has kind of been fed up and lost patience with them and so he's not going to be an eagle for much longer and then number one Ryan Tannehill it's hard enough when you lose your best wide receiver, A.J. Brown. And yes, Traylon Burks was drafted and possibly could be a solid, you know, replacement for him. Emphasis on possibly. But it's it's hard. And then on top of that, your team really does not invest in bringing in many offensive linemen, which kind of surprised me. I thought that that would have been one of their decisions. But then they also draft your eventual successor or someone who they hope to be your successor, Malik Willis, who they traded up in the third round to get. And then on top of that, you make public comments that you guys are in competition. It's not your job to mentor him, which is getting you a lot of backlash. Overall, this past week has not been the best for Mr. Tannehill, as my man has been catching a lot of hell. And so while I may not be the biggest Tannehill fan, 
I'm really interested to see how this next year shakes out because you know, anytime he messes up, people are going to be clamoring for Willis to get in the game, especially if he has more performances like he did against the Bengals in the divisional round. All right, moving on to my three biggest WTF moments of the draft, starting with number three, the Baltimore Ravens trading Hollywood Brown and getting a first-round pick for him. Now, this is a guy who has been battling some injuries. I understand Baltimore is more so of a run-heavy offense, so it's hard to really get much going as a wide receiver, allegedly. But, I mean, he just had his first 1,000-yard year and was, like, barely over the notch. So the fact that the Cardinals were willing to give up a first-round pick was crazy to me. And then, of course, in the moment, I'm like, dang, we traded Hollywood? That's Lamar's boy. But it come, came out that Hollywood was the one who requested a trade at the end of the season, so I felt less bad about it. I was like, it was his decision. Lamar, be pissed at him. Don't be mad at EDC. Uh, number two. The Steelers being able to bag George Pickens and Calvin Austin. Truthfully, in the second round, I thought that it was signed so delivered. The Browns were going to be taking George Pickens to give themselves a solid number two um, alongside Amari Cooper and potentially an eventual number one. Instead, they traded back. That didn't happen. Baltimore decides to go with a Jabo. And essentially, George Pickens falls into, um, falls into the Steelers' lap. That's bad enough. But then when a fellow fellow Memphis alum, my guy, Calvin Austin, a blazer of a player, also falls to the Steelers, it just, it's not fair. Like, I'm happy for him that he got drafted. Loki Memphis has a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm Memphis pissed. The Steelers have a lot of Memphis players um, on their team, which is like, I'm happy they have a job. I just wish they had a job somewhere else. But it still kind of sucked, you know, as they are our heated, hated rivals. And then number one, I keep talking about it, but I'm going to talk about it again. Nicobe Dean falling to the third round. Not making the first round, okay, I get it. I understand. You have questions about his size. He wasn't able to test due to injuries. I get it. It's hard to really know what you're getting. However, the fact that another round goes by and nobody takes him, insane to me and then even in the third round uh, some picks had gone by before he was taken so it's just like I I think it was Matt Miller who posted the tweet that was like no either uh N'Kobe Dean is a serial killer or his medicals came back bad those are really the only reasons to see that much of a drop like I understand he's kind of undersized he doesn't look like a prototypical linebacker but I mean he plays like one he is a terrific lights out player and so the fact that he fell that far was insanity to me for example I thought the Broncos were going to take him at 64 because they've lost quite a few linebackers and while I do like the Nick Benito pick it's still like you're you kidding me you don't want to get an enforcer in the back end no okay cool All right, and moving on to three bold predictions. Uh, Number three, wide receiver Christian Watson will lead all rookie wideouts in yards. Reason why I'm going with this is because he's going to be with the Packers, who, let's be honest, they are going to miss Devontae Adams. I know that Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers, he's great. But looking at that receiver core, even with Christian Watson included, it's hard to really determine who besides the rookie is going to see a lot of touches. Sure, they also drafted two other wide receivers, but I think Christian Watson is going to be the most productive man. He has the size, he has the speed, and I think you put him on the outside, and I think that he's going to become Aaron Rodgers' best friend as long as he doesn't piss him off too much. Uh, Number two, Devin Lloyd will be the star of this year's Jaguars 
draft class, not Trayvon Walker. We've seen it happen before when the pick that was made later is a bigger deal than the pick that was made, you know, earlier. And I think that this can be the case of that. I mean, I think that Devin Lloyd, in my opinion, I like him a lot more as a player more than Trevon Walker. I know that Walker has the, uh, the you know, the prototype typical size speed weight and he looks like a physical imposer and then I mean he's just done so he can be used in so many different ways that's great but with Devin Lloyd you already know what you're getting a big comp for him was Darius Leonard and Darius Leonard is arguably the best linebacker in football if the Jags can get that style of play from him and their productivity I think that that's going to really be able to trump what they get out of Walker especially because I don't think Walker is necessarily a finished product as of yet and then number one, Dakobe Durant leads all rookie corners in picks. I'm sure many of you are asking, who? Well, uh, Dakobe Durant was the fourth round pick by the Los Angeles uh, Rams. He was a cornerback taken out of South Carolina State and was pretty darn good when he was there, an HBCU alum, which is probably a big reason why a lot of people do not know much about him. However, in college, he was a bad Bad man. He's the reigning MEAC Defensive Player of the Year, and in his career picked off 12 passes. That's pretty impressive. And if you look across their secondary, yes, they hit on the position on that area a lot with Quinn and Lake and other guys. I think that more than likely, Jacoby Durant has a real chance to be interested in that starting lineup. You look on the other side of him, you have J- Jalen Ramsey, who you know teams are not necessarily going to be looking forward to throwing on. So who are they going to throw on? The rookie. However, we've like I've mentioned in college, he was well known for picking off passes. So with more balls coming his way and already a knack for the football, I think Dakobe uh, Durant is going to surprise quite a lot of people. And then finally, we're gonna take a look at my Baltimore Ravens draft, and I'm gonna give my favorite pick that uh, we made. This was tough because there are quite a lot of picks that I like. And, I mean, there are quite a few guys who we brought in who I feel like can be instant impact, possibly, you know, week one starters. However, I'm going to go a bit more of the conservative route, and I'm going to say center Tyler Linderbaum, who we selected with the 25th overall pick. If you guys looked at my final mock draft, you saw that I had us actually trading back in the round to take with Arizona. Coincidentally, I was almost right. And we took Tyler Linderbaum. Um, I think that if you look at the Ravens offensive line, we have pretty much our guards are pretty solid. Um, our tackle, especially if Ronnie Stanley can come back, we're in a good space. However, center has been a huge question, especially with Bradley Bozeman out of the door. Pat McCarry was allegedly scheduled to take over, but truthfully, I don't trust Pat McCarry. And it seems that the team agreed with me, didn't trust Pat McCarry either. I think that it was pretty much unquestioned that Tyler Linderbaum was the best center of this class. So for us to be able to bring him in and essentially bring build a wall in front of Lamar Jackson, I think that that is incredibly important. And that is what's going to help us take off the top of um, defensive lines in the future. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please should check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. And of course, for more of a breakdown of each team's draft, draft grades, all of my favorite picks from each um, draft class, please be sure to head over to The X Report, look at my 2022 NFL Draft Recap. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know Ethan's not here, but of course he would say, go Grizz, and I'm in that same sentiment. So thank you guys listening, and we'll see you all next time.